1: Kevin, Mike, um, Al, I'm super excited for you guys. I'm not going to specifically ask each one of your questions, so I'm going to let you all jump in as things come up um, and run it. But let me just drop in one of the first things, have you guys drop in one of the first things that I got when we we said we want to do this event. What is the biggest myth around category building? What do people think it is that you have to constantly demystify and help people recognize no 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 no, that's not category building because i think that is a big challenge that people have in confusion
2: all right well how about i'll start sangram first of all thanks for having us all right so i think the first thing that people get wrong is they conflate category design category creation with first mover and so there's this there's this headset that says in order to design a category, you must be first. And so people say stuff to us like, well, the iPad wasn't the first MP3 player um, or things along those lines. And so the reality is um, that's a big part of why we called it design, not creation, although there's many reasons we call it design, not creation. Um, But it's the first company whose Category design, that is to say the way they frame the problem slash opportunity and therefore solution, that gets their definition of the category, their point of view about the category, their framing about of the problem and therefore the solution to tip at scale. And so um, being a category designer uh, doesn't necessarily mean you have the first service or product in the market. It means you're the first company to have your point of view about what this category is, tip and scale. And when enough of the world agrees with you about your point of view, then pow, um, you get a new category and you get an emerging category queen or king.
1: Oh, man. Al, what do you you have seen this movie play over and over again? You have jumped in and said, well, what what do you get hit up with every time people talk about this?
3: Well, I think people get confused about, you know, which is not surprising about category design. It's a new discipline. It's not unlike experience design, industrial design, or product design or any other design methodologies, right? So first of all, they, they, they kind of get confused about that. But it sits in the context of there's really three things that have to come together for you to become a category champ or king. And that is you've got to have the product, Axes you've got which we call product design, company design, and category design. Those three things to come together. So the first thing is often we get people come in and say, "Hey, look, we want to do a refresh of our category." And what they really mean is a refresh of their brand, right? And these things sort of blur pretty quickly. And um, one of the things that I think we have always stood firm on is is that as the category leader, you've got to be promoting the problem. You've got to be promoting the the pain points, the things that the ramifications, as we call it, as opposed to your brand or the solution or whatever else. And so I think that's the biggest jump that people have to make the mental jump. They've got to move from, I'm about, you know, sort of evangelizing a solution to I'm about evangelizing a problem.
1: yeah. Uh, oh my God. That Chris, remember, we talked about this a lot, which was this idea of, Problem market fit versus product market fit and where people in um and I know you talked about you and Kevin and Al. You guys worked on with Qualtrics. Can you share the story of like what happened with Qualtrics? What do you guys do with them? Where they are? What like love to hear the whole story?
0: Oh, that's
3: yeah, awesome. so uh, do you want me to do you want me to take the lead on this one, Kev? Well yeah,
0: because it's your it's your it's your baby, Al.
3: <laughs> okay. Al-, Al did this one for the record. Yeah. All right. Yeah, actually, Alan, Dave, and and a couple of others. But um, so w- this is an absolute classic use case, all right. So you've heard us talk about the category life cycle in the book. It's this idea that over a ten or a fifteen year period, there's three very distinct phases of a category. There's the define phase, there's develop phase, and then there's the dominate. We could talk a lot more on that as well. That's the theory. And when we walked into Qualtrics, this is 2016. They're in Provo, Utah. The company was founded by a father and two sons, Steve Smith, Jared, and Ryan. Ryan's the CEO, Jared's the technology guy. And we walked in there um, and they said, we said, well, what problem do you solve? And they said, well, the problem we solve is market research. And we're a survey company. It's like, okay, so you're in a category called either market research or survey, depending on who you ask. Uh, and who are your competitors? Well, my competitors at the time were SurveyMonkey um, and um, Medallia. All three companies lined up on the starting line in 2016 with a market cap of a billion. And as we got into the category design, we actually figured out that, yes, market research and um, surveys were important parts of the solution, but they weren't the problem. There was something else going on. What were people using those tools to figure out? And it turns out, for the most part, they were trying to figure out, what kind of an experience they were delivering to their customers, to their employees, through their brand, via their products, and many other places. So as we got closer and closer to this, uh, and this is part of the discipline of category design, it is a little bit iterative, and you got to sort of cycle around here. We realized that there was sort of operational systems which were measuring what we called O data. This is all. Uh, uh, history now, but uh, we called operational systems O data. And there were these new systems which were measuring what we called X data, which was this thing, this experience data. And that as you do that, you realize there's a giant gap between what a C level executive thinks they're, the experience they're delivering to their customers, employees through the product brand, and what's actually being received. Mm-hmm. We called that the experience gap. When I say we, I mean Ryan and his team called this. We were part of this design. And he then started evangelizing the experience gap, okay? And if you, if, if you sort of do the juxtaposition of, okay, pre and post, the sort of the category design sort of stuff, as, as Ryan would say, we used to walk in. And have a conversation with the CEO about market research and it was the quickest trip to the basement to have a conversation with Betty about you know sort of market research and what we needed to do was we needed to elevate this to the C level and so. The experience gap and measuring X data became if you believe Qualtrics and you probably should uh, one of the top three agendas in inside of an enterprise inside of four years. They got acquired, ironically, by SAP, which is one of the companies that we roasted in the book, uh, for eight billion dollars. At the time, Medallia was at about two, and SurveyMonkey was still at one. So you can sort of see the progression of the category lifecycle happening. And then, um, and of course, the, the 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 theory that this SAP had is they had all the operational data, all of the O data, and the and Qualtrics had all the X data. So you combine those two things together. We have a lock on everything. Um, the problem was that fundamentally, you know, being inside of a big organization like SAP for a company that's growing and having to evangelize a new problem like Qualtrics was challenging to say the least. There was a fair bit of attrition. Nevertheless, they spun them back out. They went public, uh, about a month ago, they were up, uh, 51%, 51% i think it was on the opening day and that was off a market cap of 15 billion i think they traded at 27.1 when they first came out and so it's a story over a period of four or five years of how someone fundamentally changed understood they they've been in business for 10 years so like great company had the best for sure market research product but they actually Fundamentally changed the their, the scope or the TAM you might think of it that way of the problem up levelled it to the sea level it became a number three agenda and them snowflake and a couple of others are sort of in the in the in the high flying in the high flying group uh, a remarkable story Brian's an incredible evangelist for the problem uh, I saw him on day one do this when we did our first lightning strike I saw him uh, Barack Obama and Oprah Winfrey on stage discussing the value or the importance of solving this experience gap. I mean, he is just a remarkable evangelist of wow. the problem and he has an incredible team underneath him. And so it, it's just a, it's like a playbook of if, if you ever want to know what to do, just do what those guys did because <laughs> it was really unbelievably successful.
1: Wow. You know, it, it is also the idea of that it's not an overnight success. So I'm glad you kind of shared that it takes three, four, five, six, eight years, and it almost takes an evangelistic view of the entire category. And in your book, you talk about like, uh, you get. I mean, I want to read this for people because I, I, I want to make sure people recognize what we're really talking about, how big of an idea this is. And then Kevin, I want you to, to jump in and share your experience with some of these companies. Um, As as you think about it, but I want to read what's in the front flap of the book, because I thought this is brilliantly stated uh, overall. And in the comments, I want you to write down which category are you in. So, so I wanna see which category you think you're in and maybe we can pick some of you guys um, and, and you can just openly ask questions and, and I'm sure Chris and Kevin and, and Mike and Al would be open to just sharing what, like literally helping you demystify, just type in what category you're in. But let me read you the what is the front flap, which is a genius marketing play. What do Facebook, Google, Salesforce, Uber, Netflix uh, and 5 Hour Energy Pixar have in common? In what way does Apple work like the 165-year-old old glass company, Carning. How do you explain why some sla- startups last, build value, while others shoot up and then flame out? This is this is even more brilliant. Why was Elvis not just the king, but a category king? Who came up with that? By the way, that's that is just Christopher. Pure that was Christopher. No, that was
2: Kevin. No, it's was was Kevin.
1: All right, Kevin. Maybe you should. Anything you should smart in him. that
2: book? I did not write.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we already got that. And then it says the key to each has to do with creating, developing, and this is this is the part that I think gets to me really big, dominating new categories of products and services because you got to dominate like you, a lot of people would create it and then it's almost a red carpet for somebody else to walk in and walk over it. So as you guys read all of these categories that I'm seeing people are talking about, Kevin, do you see these as categories? Is that, are these categories, are these just words? Are these even uh, real? Like, I mean, just, just comment as you think about it or any example of companies you're working with.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, in fact, I, I can take off from what Al was t- the story and also your question about misconceptions. Um, and, you know, and a, a couple of huge misconceptions are that it's either branding or messaging and, um, it's not so it, we we will get companies coming in and say and saying, um, basically, here's what we do and here's our category. We just want you to put some nice words around it. That's not what this is all about. Um, if, if a company is going to work with us, they have to be open minded about the entire strategy of what they're doing. In fact, even the products they're building, because the whole point is um, to go through an exercise and see a space that has a missing that's not um being served uh, there's a problem that's not being solved or a problem that um uh, people don't even know they have yet but um once you go through that that you have to you have to essentially put aside what we've already built what we're already uh, you know branding and and say we got to have an open mind about what is the category that we can um, that we can enter and, and, and um, define and dominate over time. And that may change what the product actually has to be. That may change something about the, the, way, the way the company has to Maybe it means you hire a different kind of um, sales force or something like that. But um, it, it, it ha- you have to be open-minded to, um, to finding the category and guiding your company to the category, not saying... Um, hey, this is what we do. Let's label it some category. If that's what you're doing, and, and there's, there's, there's you know, sort of too many to go through and, and, and you know, start saying, but ba- basically if that's what you're doing, saying, here's what we do, I'm going to find a label for it that, and say that's the category, that's the wrong approach. The right approach is to say, let's look out there in the world. What is the category we should be fulfilling? And then let's define what that is and make sure that we're going to that. So it's a it's a it's a reverse of the way companies often think.
1: Well, Kevin is 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 category. I mean, and it's for every anybody. Like uh, all of all four of you, is category building for everyone.
0: Well, no, I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies that want to um, uh, ride the coattails of somebody else's category and build something that they can sell to somebody else in three years or something. And, and, you know, hey, a lot of people have made a lot of money doing that kind of thing, and that's perfectly fine. I don't think that, you know, myself, Al, Mike, or Chris are really interested in those companies. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> go ahead and do that. That's a great strategy if that's what you want to do. We're interested in the companies that want to claim something and, and solve some kind of a new problem and, and, and go for, you know, go for broke, go for, uh, um, you know, being the next Qualtrics, the next Salesforce. I
3: think I think to to Kevin's point, it's the it's the difference between better and different. I mean, when it comes down to the end of the day, right? So you know, Kevin said accurately that you know some companies just want to ride on the coattails of someone else's category, and we meet those. Christopher can tell you stories from the early days of meeting those entrepreneurs who you know basically build better, and they think that they're going to win via better and you know, there are examples of that, but these, the, the sustaining companies, the ones that really do create giant market caps are the ones that, who think differently and who frame the problem and take ownership for the problem and solve that problem. And it's interesting when you watch those companies evolve, like a Qualtrics, for example, um, you see them focusing on one or two areas but frame the category already in the early days as being much bigger. And one of the techniques that you use to do that is this thing called a blueprint. In addition to the point of view, which is a narrative, it's a story, it's framing the problem and talking about the solution. There's a thing called the blueprint that we use often. On day one, and this is for all of the marketers out there, on day one, Ryan Smith put up a blueprint that had essentially the XM platform and four applications. It was customer experience, employee experience, brand and product. They did not have brand experience or product experience at the time they put the blueprint for the category up. They had half of employee experience and they had customer experience. Medallia already had customer experience. So they started to talk about who was going to fill the shoes, essentially, as if you like the category king or the category champ, right? Before they had it. They put themselves out there, they challenge the engineering organization, they challenge the go-to-market organization to scale from talking to Betty or Jimmy in the basement up to the CEOs, right? And that there is how you go from one to 25 billion in a period of four years. It because if you think about it, TAM is just the other side of the scale of the problem. You, you with me? Yep. That's really, that's really what TAM is. And so if you want growth, and Category Design delivers that, if you want growth, then one way to fuel growth is increase TAM, right? Yeah. Okay. Another way to increase growth is to differentiate yourself from the competitors and get share, take share. And we believe that the Category Champ takes 76% of the market, market cap. That's our research and it's available on Play Bigger. The third thing is, That when you differentiate yourself, you can then change the fundamental structure of a the products and b the pricing and more importantly the ACV. And so, when you increase scale or or TAM, when you provide differentiation, i.e., share, and you increase the product, what happens? Anyone want to have a guess?
1: Yeah, Yeah. unmute it. Share it if you want to share. Like, what do you guess? What
3: do you think happens when you do those three things? It goes bonkers. It's called growth. Right. Values and that's what and category value. design does. It allows you to frame a bigger problem, hence, bigger TAM. It allows you to differentiate, hence, share. It allows you to repackage and product your, 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 your product in the context of a much bigger category picture called the blueprint. And as a result, ACV goes up. Um, and just as a sort of an anecdotal story, when, and this is again back to Qualtrics, when you, When we first walked in, we sort of said, okay, what's the average customer value, you know, saw for your products at that time? Just dumb question, right? Like in the order of 10,000, I don't want to give away too much, but in the order of $10,000, right? Is what happened when you, the average selling price. The applications that they put on top of the platform, which they already had, you know, were selling for 10 to 50 times more than that three years later. Think about that. Increase the size of the TAM, differentiate yourself, get market share, and now you're increasing the price of the product by 10 to 50%, excuse me, 10 to 50 times. Like, think about the math there, just for a second. That's how you go from one to 27 billion, right? Yeah. And that's all category design. All of that was, that's, that's way overstated. It was led by category design. You had to believe that you could draw that picture. You had to believe that you could tell that narrative. You had to believe that a CEO would lean forward when you said hey there's an experience gap here that's a freaking mile wide and if you don't solve it you're it's an existential threat to you you had to believe those things and the great category designers and i think kevin did a brilliant job kind of guiding us to get get that story told in the book but there's 120 examples of those kinds of leaders who have believed that and they are the enduring companies sangram i also want to put a fine point
2: on sort of uh, who should not do this the reality is most people should not do this and the reason for it is um the last person to know they're in water is a fish the second the pelican gets it and the vast majority of people in business pray at either the product altar or the brand alter. And they really believe the best brand wins and the best product wins. Those people should never even attempt to do category design. As a matter of fact, I was, I was on a call this week. It was the first time I had experienced this. And I'm fucking 53 years old and I started this shit when I was 18. That's 35 years. I've been doing this a long time and I heard something new this week. And I heard a product CEO Who told me he loved our book, made his entire management team read the book, and were absolutely doing category design, and proceeded to explain to me why they were going to win was because they had a better product. (laughs) And I finally had to say to him, uh, hey, uh, you're not fucking doing category design. He's like, no, 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 I'm doing it. uh, I'm just like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're in a category that's dominated by another company. You're calling your shit the same thing as their shit. And you're telling me the way you're going to win is you're going to redesign the category because you have a better product. And I'm telling you, as one of the guys that wrote the fucking book, you're not doing category design. And so most people are going to pray at the brand altar or the product altar. And so... I believe category design will be an unfair competitive advantage for the rest of everybody on this call's uh, life. And we recently did a set of research that sort of bears this out. We analyzed Fortune's 100 fastest growers list over a decade. So these are all high-growth companies, successful companies. So these aren't like great companies versus nose-picking shit companies. These are all great companies. And we analyzed them to figure out which ones were doing category design and which weren't. And we found there were three buckets that they fell into. There were the be the best and win companies. So they were, they, they, their focus was on the competition. That was 60% of them. 20% of them were, we have a better product. And 20% of them were, were different, We're designing a category. And then we looked at their revenue and market cap. And here's the interesting thing. The B different companies, the category designers were only 20%. They earned 51% of the revenue growth and 80% of the market cap growth on a trailing three years basis. So category designers, when compared to other high growth companies still take the lion's share of both revenue and market cap and revenue, drives market cap for category designers in a way that it doesn't for other people. And this piggybacks on the research that we did originally that's in the book. And so here's the great news. Most companies are never going to fucking do this. I, I had a shocking experience this week with a CEO who absolutely told me he was doing category design and he was absolutely not doing it. He was doing our product is better than their product. And, and he had confused himself. And when one of the guys that wrote the book told him he was not doing it, he still couldn't fucking hear it. And my point in sharing that with you is <laughs> that's how deeply committed to the product alter some people are. And I would say the same thing's true on the brand side. And so most people shouldn't do this because they believe the best product or best brand wins. And uh, those of us who can, who are approximately 20% of the greatest companies in the world, are gonna get fifty uh, percent of the revenue growth and eighty percent of the market cap growth, and Nina honor
3: to the rest.
1: Oh, hey, oh, man. Oh, so no
3: yeah, you love it. It's 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 gospel, isn't it? Um, I wanted to just pick up on a comment that came through in the thread, Chris. It was very much along the lines of where you were headed here, but let's just catch it before it flies off. It was from Benjamin Pope. Benjamin, put up your hand or yell out or something. Can you? Can we see? Hey, you? Al.
4: Thanks for. Thanks for calling out my question.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question is a beauty. Uh, I think it just blew up, but I, I sort of caught it, which is your brand and product follows category, blueprint, and vice versa. Oh, so half right, <laughs> half right. So it, it, to Chris's point, sort of the product versus the brand piece, the 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 brand generally follows the point of view more than anything else. It's the emotional problem, You know, it's the emotional sort of story about the problem and and, and you being that company that cares about that, generally the brand follows that arc, whereas the product side of the organization generally follows the blueprint. Blueprint's more of a technical architecture kind of a diagram, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, we, we can send you examples. I think there's examples on playbigger.com. But th- I just want to answer that question. There is two parts to this, um, which is brand follows generally the narrative, generally the problem, generally the 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 pain points that uh, the customer feels the the solution side of it or the category side of it which is the, the blueprint that the product generally follows that yeah thanks I love that
1: and I'm I'm keeping you like I think we this is why I know this is such a deep topic we literally blocked up hour and a half folks so I don't know if Chris and Kevin and Mike and Al would have time for after an hour because that's what we booked
3: yeah, them for. Yeah, we can do it. I can do it.
1: We can do it. but but literally, would love people to unmute in a little bit and and then literally ask questions and just get into into this conversation because this is not this will not happen at your average company offsite. What you're about to hear and hearing right now, this is what changes the company architecture. So I want to quickly. Um, and I, I wanted to leave these three or four questions because I, I think people's thought process around that is 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 the biggest challenge, is the biggest roadblock. And once you get over that, I think you start walking in the right path, but until that it's like no, you're saying north and people keep looking looking at the south, like north is south. and it's a constant conversation to bring them back. So uh, I think chris uh, Christopher, I shared this story with you at some time back, and I've shared a little bit in the peak community that, I was invited to this, this uh, uh, by, by one of the investors and they had a, over a billion dollar invested in that 85 people CEO room. And they said, this was two years ago. And they said, hey, what, Sangram, c- come on and and, and share um, the, your story. I thought this was something that, you know, all these investors do once in a while, bring another you know, founder to share their story. But they actually brought me in and said, no, no, no we don't want you to talk about ABM. We want to talk about how ABM became ABM. Like that's the story we want to talk. And at that time, for the very first time it connected, and I hope everybody take note on this, what Christopher and Al and Kevin are talking about over here, your market cap, the valuation of your company is literally could be 10X than the second or third person in the line. That is a big value in becoming a category king or category leader, because it changes the equation for your business. You get to do things so different than anybody else that you actually, it, it, it's not a, a close, there is no close second when you become a true category leader in, in a space. So I remember the, the VC saying to me, Hey, Sangram, you look at all these 85 CEOs. I know 80, 80 of them probably are going to fail. And flame out, which is why I read the f- the front cover, the front flap of the, your book. That eighty of them are b- amazing, smart, but most of them are product CEOs. Most of them are come from sales backgrounds, sales CEOs, and, and so we don't know. We have bets on it, but we know five of them are going to be category leaders, and that's where how we make our money back. And for the first time, I understood. How VCs actually bet on companies and what they look for, and it was the five companies that they're. I, I mean, I'm curious to get your perspective on it. Like, how often do you see that in the market?
2: So, so, Sangram, this is a big, big point, and it's something most people are confused about. And you see it all the time if you watch CNBC or consume any media, uh, financial media. So, for example, Tesla's market cap right now. Ah. Tesla's market cap is so crazy. (laughs) The only reason for this is weed is legal in California, right? (laughs) So there's two kinds of people in business. There's people who bet on the future being the same as the present and the past. And there's people who bet on the future being different. In 2007, if you looked at Netflix and Blockbuster through a spreadsheet lens, what you would see – is one company that's throwing off massive profits and growing, and another company that looks like a joke because it's losing money. And we all know how it ended. If you look at at both those companies through a category lens, what you would have seen is one company in a failing category that was doing nothing to redesign the category, and one company that was moving the world from the way it was to a whole new way. And we all know how that movie played out. And so – there's three things that drive market cap for growth companies. The first one is investors perception of the size and growth rate of the market category. Translation. Is this going to be a big space? Number two, investors perception of your ability to become the category king or queen. That is to say, Prosecute the magic triangle, get product company and category right. And if you read Play Bigger, you know the company that dominates the category ends up with 76% of the market cap. So that's the second one. Do investors believe that you have what it takes to become the category queen? And then the third one is investors' perception of your numbers, some of which may be financial, some of which may be other things, in the context of the first two. And so the three things are, Perception of the size and growth rate of the category, perception of your ability to become the category queen, and um, perception of your numbers in the context of the first two things. And what all of that says is growth companies are valued on future potential, not past performance. And people who have spreadsheets up their ass cannot see that.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, man, this is so good. Now, one, one thing that I also want to make sure, these are all like, I'm, I'm dropping these questions because I know these are the questions that most people on this call that are uh, in, most in marketing and, and early stage CEOs, um, I, I know a lot of you just jumping in over here, is that who owns the process of category design, category creation? in your organization. Because this is where a lot of people slip up. And I'm going to just uh, put a few things in here and let you all comment on it. uh, And I want to hear maybe in the comments, type in who do you think owns this process of category design, category creation? Who does it? Because that is one of the biggest challenge that I've seen in, in the execution part of it. Because if it becomes a project, if it becomes a quarterly, this quarter initiative, then I've seen it fail miserably. And until it becomes a true company initiative, I've just seen it fail. So I'm, I'm seeing a bunch of folks talking about CEO, founder, CMO, um, CTO, head of product. I'm seeing all kinds of comments in here. So I'll let you guys take it out and, and tell like
0: who should own it. Well, there's, there, I mean, there's, there's no question that it has to be a, a CEO level initiative. I mean, absolutely, because just go go back to what we've all been talking about is that uh, it's not marketing, it's not messaging, it's not branding, it's not product design, it's none of those things. Um, it's it's actually your company's strategy. Yeah. Um And so, um, you know, yeah, it has to start with the CEO. Once the once the category is defined and and the direction is set, um, then the initiative goes out to others because then that often means that the product has to be somewhat different from what you originally had. Look at the Qualtrics story; they they had to actually build new kinds of products that they were weren't building before. So you know it goes off to the you know that that POV that gets created and that that blueprint for where you're going and everything that becomes the essentially the North star, the flag on the hill for what the company's gonna be doing and every department of the company then acts on it. So the product designers go and say, that's where we're going, the, the, this, this point of view, this category tells us what kind of product we have to build. The marketing team goes and says, this tells us what kind of message has to go out to the world. Um, the, um, you know, the, the, the CFO ends up re- realizing that you know s- something about the way the company's finance may have to be altered to actually carry out that category. So it, it becomes a whole company initiative, but it has to start with the CEO or it's going to fail. And I think we've all seen that over and over again. If it actually is just being driven by the CMO, um, then it's going to fail. Ooh. Well,
1: what's CMO's role in it?
0: Oh, it's an enormous role. I mean, first of all, um, uh, when all of us do these projects with companies, it's, um, it's, you need that leadership team around the table. Um, it's likely going to be the CEO, the CMO, the head of product, the um, maybe the head of sales. I mean, it's it's the it's the people who drive the company and and, and help make those decisions. Um, so ev- everybody has to um, help this help figure out what this category is, so that there's a lot. I mean, one of the great things about this whole process is it drives it drives alignment like nobody's business. I mean, once once you're once you get through this process of figuring out the category, and creating these you know these north stars everybody on the leadership team believes in the same thing is aligned around that and then the cmo's job is to take this category out to the world and and define the problem for the world uh, and 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 you know create the message around the category and the problem first and the brand second Um, the brand becomes the thing that fulfills that category so it's an enormous role in the process, but it's not the only person who's going to be um, involved in making this happen. Everybody has to make this happen at the company, everybody on the leadership team.
1: I love that. Hey, um, here's a question. Jeff, uh, Jeff Frick, you have a question. Why don't you just pop in and share your question and give a context to it? Or I can just read it for you. I don't know if you can unmute it yourself. Um, but your, your question is kind of interesting. It talks about why do you, when do you raise the flag of victory on third-party validation of new category birth?
2: Yeah, and I asked a, a prior one before that, which was, uh, do you look for an analyst, some up-and-coming analyst at Forrester, Gartner, IDC that wants to build a franchise around a new category?
1: Well, let, let me just drop one quick thing on this because this is, this is, this is literally what Chris, uh, Christopher and I talked about for like an hour, like a week ago. It's six years ago when we started talking about ABM as a category, Gartner still has, hasn't done it. Forrester created for the first time a wave report last year. So it took us six years to convince the analyst that this is a real category after having thousands of customers like literally thousands of customers just for us and if you add all the other companies like they're like 5 10000 customers out there and still wasn't in the analyst one and and for us what we did was we said you know what we're not going to wait around for an analyst. We're just going to bring them along. So we had them speak at every single conference we did, virtual or or on on the road at that time, and kept uh, kept in their ears what we we're doing, why we we're doing, what we we're doing, why we we're doing, and actually having them see customer after customer to see that, no, their people are actually doing this in order for them to finally say that, no, this is a category. But that's just our experience. And I'm curious, uh, Kevin, Christopher, Al, your take on, like, what is analyst role and how do you plan that flag?
2: Actually, can this is I very uh, important? Go can, ahead, Kevin.
0: I was going to say, can I, I want to tap, I want to tap in uh, my partner, Mike on this. Cause I, actually he's had some strategies that have been pretty effective for some of the companies we've worked with. Mike, Mike, you want to run with that?
5: Right. Well, one, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I always have this opinion of analysts. and I, I know of one that's on the call right now um, that, their opinion only matters after the fact, you know, it's kind of like TV news, right? There's, <laughs> the,
6: the, the
5: <laughs> jargon from last year was fake news the past four years. And they, they, they see what they see and they say what they want to brand, right? They're, they're like the, the most obvious marketers in the world. They're trying to sell their, you know, 40 to $80,000 a year subscription. Um, and, Sangram, what you said was pretty spot on. Bring them along with you, right? Just keep inviting them to the party and get them to, to buy into your story. And, you know, you don't need to wait for them to coin the phrase. You don't need the quadrant to be published. You don't need an acronym invented by somebody that you paid a lot of money to. The, the customers are going to do that for you, right? The customers are going to start using the term ABM. The customers in the market and your competitors are going to use the term ABM. And by the way, guys, the most obvious um, slap on the back that you created a category is when a competitor uses your category name. So if you can strive for that, make that your goal.
1: Yeah, yeah. There is no category of one. Like this is one thing that I've realized is like there is no category of one. So you better have competitors. Competitors is good, but you're not in the same race. Christopher, you are you were saying same thing as you'll get another drink over there.
2: Yes. I'm, I'm topping things up here. I'm clearly deciding I'm going to pass second and go all the way to home here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a couple things. So I, I, of course I agree with damp uh, we've known and worked with each other for decades. So every, Underscore everything he said. And An addition that I would make is when you're um, designing the category and you're plus or minus two-thirds of the way through, invite in a couple of analysts. Share with them your early thinking. And here's the aha. And you can do this with customers too. Here's the aha. Most people have a little entrepreneur in them. And that's true for analysts. They come from the technology space. They might, a lot of them have product marketing backgrounds. A lot of them are somewhat technical and there's a little entrepreneur in them. By the way, this is also true for journalists. Invite them in and share your thinking with them. Allow them to be part of the cycle with them, with you. And they will have ownership of it. As a result, they may add to it. So they may actually come forward with some good thinking that'll help tweak things on the margin. You don't want them to create your category for you. They're not, they're not going to do that. But they, they may help you hone it in. And by including them in the cycle, they'll feel a sense of ownership. This is also true with the press. I'll never forget years ago, um, I was at a company called Scient, and I went to an industry uh, party that the uh, Industry Standard Magazine was having in downtown San Francisco. And a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, uh, we did a lightning strike at the launch of the company, and we did an exclusive with the Wall Street Journal, and they broke the company. Anyway, this reporter was at the party, and his wife was with him. And as you might expect, I was the CMO, so I'd gotten to know him very well, and I had a big part in, in, in uh, getting this story done. He introduces me to his wife, and he says, Chris works for a company that I, I help make. And so whether it's a, 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 um, an analyst, the press, or even a customer, or a, 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 par- a partner as well, a reseller, a distributor, an integrator, a consultant of some kind, um, there's a little entrepreneur in most people. And when you let them in, uh, and they can participate and contribute, um, they have a higher degree of ownership. And A, you might learn some things that might make a difference for your business. B, you'll strengthen the relationship. And C, one day you'll be at a party, and they'll introduce you to your spouse as one of the, the companies they help make. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. One other thing I'd share with you about analysts, and this is a tactical secret, that I don't ever remember sharing in any kind of public forum. Find out when they're gonna issue their big wave report, their big uh, uh, um, quadrant, quadrant, Gartner quadrant report. They all have some version of this. Find out when the analyst or analysts who cover you have to put forward their research and reports for the new magic quadrant the new wave the new state of the union in your category thing that they do every year or two find out when when they have to submit their homework work back from that date six weeks and keep them fucking busy in one situation um we did an asian speaking tour for the gartner Uh, analyst who covered our company and she went to singapore and she went to japan and she went to um, india and she went to china and visited the great wall and so we bought a whole bunch of her time to speak at a set of customer facing events during the time frame when she was working on the new super ding dong report And she met all of our customers and all of our partners and how much they loved our company and our technology and blah, blah, blah. How do you think we did in the magic quadrant?
1: Big time, big time. You know, I hope, I mean, I can see already in the comments people are getting, if nothing else, if you take this nugget of how do you build relationship with, so, so it's a brilliant question. Um, Thanks for asking folks and and also for just sharing the secret around it because it literally drove me bonkers like in the first three years like don't you get it like this is big this is happening but it's like anything in an executive meeting sometimes we would think about stuff and say well we get it because we've been talking about it for six months and then we announce it at the all hands and we wonder why doesn't everybody in the company get as excited as you well they have not been there for six months in your small meeting they haven't struggled with you and then figured out all the little things that you talked through. So don't expect everybody to just jump up and down as soon as you, you go big on it. So I feel like that is true, especially for analysts. So here's, here's one last question and then we're just gonna open up. So just start dropping your questions. If you wanna raise your hand, we'll literally open the mic up and then you can directly ask questions to these folks. Um, one of my biggest, biggest uh, challenges when I when I hear and talk about category building and and just going through the process for the last six years, is this idea that well everybody is trying to to be a category leader in some way shape or form all of a sudden, and it you know you all it, you know kudos to you all you have made it really cool again right people you know Al you wearing your cowboy hat and you know Christopher with your tattoos and Al with your amazing professor look and Mike with your you know, drink that you're going to open up one day for all of us. You know, you guys have made it cool. And everybody thinks that it is a cool thing to be a cat. It's like, it is a cool thing to be an entrepreneur. It's a cool, just a, it's just a conversation. I would have it almost every other day with the founder CEO around it. And as much as I want to say that, no, it is not for everybody. It almost feels like people are like, well, no, it is, it is something that we all should do. It's a cool thing. and, and when I say, well, why don't you did, you, did you build a community around it, community around the problem? Because that's kind of honestly how we built it. We built the whole, like the, the whole flip my funnel and all that stuff. And that's how we knew the market was big enough. And that's allowed us to actually invest in the product. And I just don't see anybody focus on building community at all. And as a matter of fact, if they build a quote unquote community, it is their product community. I'm like, well, that's not a community at all. It is your user group, not an industry conference. And that is a big challenge for me and to recognize this, but I'm curious to your perspective on this, especially because you saw like sales loft acquired, um, you know, uh, sorry, outreach just went and acquired sales. Why did they acquire a whole big community? Like there was no business in buying a media company, but the more you think about it is that no, you have to start becoming a media company in many sense. So I want to hear your perspective. We didn't talk much about community or, or being a media. How does that, fall into old category building, designing.
5: Uh, I'll throw this out there. Um, and, you know, Christopher said this once is when you finally are giving awards for your category, right? The uh-huh. ABM Hall of Fame Awards. When ABMEs,
1: you, we call it ABMEs. <laughs> there you go. When,
5: you, when, you're, when you've got a community that's so tight and so big, that you can then say apply for the awards, and then have an event and give the awards. That is justification for the category. Boom! Um, I love that. It's solid. Uh, and just a, as a as a side plug, we're about to release the um, category designers community. It's going to be an open Slack channel. Uh, so you know, follow us, follow Chris, follow everyone, <clears throat> and, and we'll get the link out there. But it'll just be an open Slack channel uh, for category designers to share category design ideas. Yeah.
2: The other thing I want to underscore Damp's point around, uh, if there's awards, it's true. Uh, Let let me share a quick story with you. Back in the old days at Mercury, when we were creating the category we called BTO, business technology optimization, uh, we had this aha. And we said, well, we could do it on our own, which is a very valid strategy. Or we could piggyback off someone else's brand. And at the time, Information Week uh, had a number of conferences, and they had one conference every year. Typically, they did it in Palm Springs at the Chateau, ding-dong, ding-dong being a term for anything high-end. Um, and so uh, they would have a CIO only, invitation only, super ding dong event with a, a relatively small number three, four hundred, maybe five hundred, something like that. Um, and so we approached them and we said, um, we'd like to sponsor the party, and we'd like to make it a black tie party. And they said, oh, that sounds cool. And we said, and we'd like to bring in some ding dong chefs and some ding dong wine and all this stuff, and At the party, we would like to give out the Business Technology Optimization Awards. And we'd like you and Gartner and others to be a third-party evaluator of who wins the awards. We'll help promote submissions so that people can apply to win the award. So to Damp's point, when you're at a super ding-dong event, with the CEOs of Visa and MasterCard and the big banks and blah, blah, blah. And there's 10 awards going out in different subcategories of BTO. And people are getting these awards and they're having their photograph taken by a professional photographer with their spouse. And some of them are getting super emotional about, you know, because this is a moment in their career for them. They've won this wonderful award. Um, Well, guess what? BTO must be a fucking thing if information week is giving out awards at the super ding dong Palm Springs, super ding dong CXO event. Right.
1: Right. I think it it changes the equation guys. All right. So now I'm going to like, I see Elliot, your hand up. So I'm going to get onto you for, for asking the questions. If you have questions, folks, this is about an hour into it. You guys just go ahead and, and drop in your questions. If you have to skip, you can skip a bit. The recording will be in the peak community. Um, but for the folks who want to drop in, you know, feel free. But we are now going into like super ding-dong moment over here with questions directly to you guys and, and really focus on whatever your existing company challenge is. So this is your happy hour. This is the part of being in a community. It's not for just me to have an open Q&A, but for you to have the mic and actually take it from there. Say, so, Elliot, why don't you just kick us off?
7: Yeah, so I, I was really fascinated about the, the Qualtrics story, and um, I wanted to get uh, maybe ask like, Christopher's opinion and the others on, um, after that piece of work was complete, right, Qualtrics came out with their new messaging about experience, and then shortly afterwards, like, Medallia copied it, and so now if you go to uh, Medallia's website, like, they talk about, like, experience as the differentiator, so they've almost immediately, like, followed that, the same... Kind of principles in terms of uh, like falling in love with a problem and being able to uh, to market to that more more actively. So if you're you know you go through this this process of trying to design the category and laying everything out in in the way that you describe in the book, like what what do you do if you've got someone like hot on your coattails that instantly starts trying to and um, like claw after it in the same way?
2: Thank them. Every <laughs> dollar. Listen. Pepsi's the stupidest fucking company in the world. And I just had an opportunity on my podcast to have the former, the gal who was the former CEO of Pepsi. Cause she, I guess she's written a book on my podcast and I took a pass because their most recent campaign with Steve Carell is a, a shot in a diner. And this server comes over to this couple and says, you know, can I take your order? And one of them says, yes, I'd like a Coke. And she says, well, we don't have Coke. Is Pepsi okay? And Steve Carell gets up and says, is Pepsi okay? Are rainbows and unicorns and fairies okay? And he goes on this whole diatribe about how wonderful Pepsi is. So now let's do an exercise. Um Don't think about Coke. Don't think about Coke. Don't think about Coke. Don't think about Coke. You can think about anything you want to think about, but don't think about Coke. Anything you want to think about at all, purple rainbows, unicorns, (laughs) fairies, anything you want, but don't think about Coke. What are you thinking about?
7: Coke. Yeah. When Medallia did
2: what they did, and I'll pass the puck over to my brother, Al, in this Nazi hat here. When the minute Medallia did that, and by the way, multiple Qualtrics uh, competitors did that, Ryan Smith, Smith should send them a bottle of, of champagne to thank them.
3: Yeah, so I, I, I love that story, Christopher. Uh, don't talk about Christopher. Don't talk about Kristen. <laughs> um, so, Elliot, to, to your love of God, <laughs> to your to your question specifically, uh, I was I was uh, luckily around the table when that happened, and so uh, a little bit of backstory. So, we had met Medallia sometime before and decided that we weren't we weren't quite there with them
2: it wasn't a great meeting was it Al
3: (laughs) (laughs) and so uh went so we knew that they were the best better guys and the followers and and that was sort of just and and Ryan and Jared and 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 Kylan and team were were not Um, so two things do you know what the ticker symbol is for um Qualtrics anyone type it in yes there you are xm's in showing up so they did they being Qualtrics did what um benioff did in 2004 when he named his ticker symbol the category Mm -hmm. tough to tough to play against that Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) i got two i got a beagle and a a golden retriever sorry about that the second question elliot is this is and this is the this is the checkmate move that they did if you look at the category blueprint for qualtrics just go to their s1 just look it up uh you'll see that there is a platform which of course has all the market research yet but then these applications that address different sort of sectors of the business the four key sectors of the business which which one of those is medallia i can tell you it's cx so they have one of the applications so now you go into a customer's customer and say, hey, listen, you really need to be thinking about experience management for your organization. There's this thing called the experience gap, i.e. literally copying and putting up, pasting on their website. And the customer says, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to do that. Um, when can we get the employee uh, experience thing? Uh, we don't have that. What about the brand thing? Well, we don't have that either. What about the product thing? Uh, we don't have that either. It's like, oh, so you're not really an experienced management company. You're a customer experience company. Is that right? So that was the checkmate was, and this is, this is, where, this is where the question on TAM also comes in. It's like, okay, what's the opportunity for customer experience? It's you tell me, they say it's 60 billion for whole of XM right now, if you read their S1. So let's say it's 20, just make it up, 20. Okay, so then 20 is CX, you know 15 is EX, and the rest is PX and BX, right? And whatever else they've got now. Well, then that just defined how big Medallia can get. And what's their market cap right now? Does anyone know? It's about $4 billion compared to compared to Qualtrics, which is 25 And if you think about it in the context of the work that Chris um, and, and, and Dave and Kevin and I did, uh, we said that the Category King takes 76% of the market cap. Right there, do that math. Who's got 76%? Qualtrics. So... I hope I answered your question, Eric. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if Elliot, I should say, Um, but yeah, that's, that's the bottom line is, is that if you frame the problem, which is the entire experience management, as opposed to just customer experience, then that becomes a really strategic play that you can make.
8: Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. That was really great. Love it. All right, Jim, you're up. Excellent. Um well thank you guys for the content it's awesome. I also read the book in the last few months and I think I love the I love the whole concept of it. One one challenge I have is I am a at the moment a, a one man band We've got a small team in a coach in the coaching industry running a coaching business. So I'm not at the same level in terms of CMO CTO ticker symbols you know IPOs all that all those acronyms. Um is the strategy the same? Do I need to approach this whole idea of category creation from a different level, a different angle? Like what's the, yeah, what's the approach oh, to this? No, no, How no, 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 this no,
3: no. The answer is no, no, no. Be, uh, You You have to have a certain type, which is you need to be an evangelist to Christopher's point. Not everyone is, but let me tell you, what is the primary goal of a category designer? Number one job, articulate the problem, articulate the problem before you even stand up and say anything. Find out what it is. So the, the the challenge back to you is like, okay, so as a coach, as a mentor, as a, all of these things that you just described, what problem are you solving? And for whom? Uh, answer a question. Like, let, let's just right, do so, Yeah, so the,
8: the the angle I've gone with it so far is the idea that, that, that I'm framing the problem that coaching doesn't solve. Like, what, what are the limitations of the existing coaching model? And that is that it takes too long people are fighting gravity in between coaching sessions because you're only with them for an hour and you don't go that deep. So I wanted to come at it from that angle, which is the idea of creating this uh, um, immersion coaching, which is the the placeholder I've got for it right now, which is a a longer lasting change
0: created over a shorter period of time. Good, good start. (laughs) What do you think, Chris? What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, uh, define uh, and see the problem first. And and then des, you know design what you're, um, you know what you're, how you're going to solve the problem. That's the way to think about it. And and and, and part of your question, and I'm, I'm going to actually call out a question. Um, uh, I think it's Priti Vandana um, posted here, which says, when do you actually start uh, dreaming the category at, uh, at the idea stage, product growth stage? What um, and, and it, it goes part to your question too, is that this is something that can happen at any time. Um, we've all worked with some companies that have been two guys in a garage with a big idea, but they see the category and you know maybe the fulfilling it is ten years out but uh but they you know, they see something nobody else has seen and and they're gonna you know go for that um uh, Mike and I worked with a company that was sixty years old when they um engaged us and they had been around doing the same thing for all of that time but um because they had some ownership and they looked around at what was going on with ai they realized the data they had could do something different than they um ever thought of before and uh and created a category called talent optimization um and, and uh, we write about in the book we write about um corning which is 100, 160 years old and, yeah. and and has put in this flywheel um uh, of corporate category design that is the reason it's 160 years old and um, and the way the company thinks is starts with uh, like if you talk to them today, the way that the way Corning thinks is we are going to be around for another 160 years. So the only way to do that is to continually create new uh, categories over and over again, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, otherwise you're just you're just milking an old cow that's um, you know, eventually going to run out of milk. So um but yeah, so I, the answer to your question part of your question and also pretty's question is category design can be something that a company takes up at any point in time The most important thing is is there a, is there a category that is worth going after and that, that you see as a company um, and so you know I'm sure there's people on this call that are in companies of all sorts of different ages mm-hmm. you, you do not disqualify yourself because you're at some particular stage it doesn't matter. Thank you.
1: All right, just jump in if you have a question or raise your hand because this is this is your time. You can literally pitch your company and get their feedback. Uh, it's probably a $10,000 consulting for free right now.
2: All, all right, I, I, I at 10 million 10 uh, <laughs> no, million and I'm it's sorry, available today as an NFT. Available now as an NFT starting bids at 10 10 million. <laughs>
4: amazing can i can i go ahead yeah go ahead um, first of all guys thanks thanks so much for doing this this is unbelievable right like i um i've been an executive for a long time as an operator and as a and as a bd guy but reading your book um early 2020 really made me realize i was born a marketer and i'm just really really inspired to be in this room so, uh sand room, i'm diving into abm right now i just found it because i just realized i'm a marketer um but so so my, my question is as i've i've built a company from scratch in the last year and a half as a service company and i've very much identified my category i have it well laid out in my head and it's very clear to me that my category has three pillars of which two I can solve for and the third is software and and that is that is clearly what i see as the pattern recognition of what the big play for market cap and all these different things And I'm starting to evangelize my category right now and talk about my whole framework and everything very effectively it's landing really really well every stage I get on leads to a bigger stage. Um, And and my question is, do I, in my head I was thinking that this software stuff comes once my cash flow gets to a certain level, where I'm investing in the cash flow for the software, but as I'm on this call it's like hitting me that I'm playing small and really what I should be doing is out fundraising and, and, and building this software piece. And I, I guess my question is very similar to what uh, the gentleman that just went, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, just asked, but do I need to be moving quicker? Like, I, like, should I be, is there, is there a time limit for evangelizing this stuff? If I become the, chi- the, the guy that's known for evangelizing it later, the software play can come. Do, do I need to start looking for outside funding when I'm just really just bootstrapping everything and it's going great and i'm, I'm growing at a, like a nice rate I, I guess that's i guess that's my question i'm
0: i'm a little nervous sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah so pablo
3: it's out um yeah congratulations for being an entrepreneur um i've uh, been in your shoes a few times and i, I think it's a concurrent process honestly uh, it's not sort of one or the other and so um One of the tests for is the problem important enough, uh, scalable, or the TAM big enough is when you go pitch this idea to somebody else. It's when it forces you to sort of have to get it out. So uh, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to do that, to go and pitch to, don't start with the sequoias of the world on pitch number one, but go talk to some folks and pitch the idea. And get their feedback. And that, look, uh, my experience with these folks is, is that they are willing, like, like, like the same conversation as the analysts, they're willing to sort of contribute ideas and everything else. So go do that. And I think that will give you a sense of, um, uh, it'll give you a sense of how important this problem is to be solved, how valuable it could be in the eyes of somebody else other than yourself it's hard as the entrepreneur to not believe that this is the most important thing that has to be solved in the world right i mean that's kind of who you are right uh-huh. so that would be my counsel is go do that um and as you're doing that um and we found this with a very early stage company chris and i worked on uh, some time ago it was a company at the time it was called tilican three kids out of stanford literally out of stanford and um they were AI for shipping and they had developed a sort of a piece of the product in house while I was studying at Stanford. And they went and pitched to, I think it was Besser, but Chris made me remember and they got a couple million bucks and they came to us and said, if I I remember Al it was hard fought getting that initial
2: couple million in, it was not an easy deal. It was their business was a very,
3: uh, what are you talking about again? Kind of business in the beginning. Yeah, no, for sure. You're absolutely right, but they got the money sort of while I was still at Stanford, and we engaged in, you know, in a, in a what we call our agile process or Activate, as we call it now, uh, process. And it was a quick hit at trying to get close enough to a the problem and be the sort of the the, the the solution. And so they said AI for shipping. Their company name was called Tilikin. We ripped that up, and actually they were moving chunks of metal around the world, so we called them Clear Metal and we call it predictive logistics. It was pretty close. We did a $25,000 lightning strike uh, at the Long Beach Shipping Conference, took over the whole conference, did all the tricks that Chris was talking about, right? Cost, I think, about 30 grand total cash. Um, And so you can do this stuff at an early stage. Be confident that you can. In their case, they had some cash behind them. That's what I'd say to you is on the software piece, you'll need a partner probably that needs to have some idea of technology and everything else. And so... That's all concurrent. That's like, to Chris's point, it didn't just happen overnight. It, it's, it was swirling for the, probably the first nine months, but have confidence as an entrepreneur that you can actually do that. And if you evangelize the problem in their case, c- containers were lost all over the world and they had to have, you know, redundancy everywhere. Cause they didn't know where they were kind of thing. That problem is a giant problem. And it's now, you know, their big customers are Walmart and Costco now.
1: Wow. That's fascinating.
3: The other thing Pablo that I would tell you is
2: um, what Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley, what those venture capitalists are looking for is a very specific thing. And if you want, we can talk about what that is. And if, and I, I don't know whether it is or it isn't, but if the startup you have doesn't fit into the Sand Hill Road model, it doesn't mean it's a shitty startup, right? There's there's multiple ways to fund and scale a business. And what the Sand Hill Road folks are looking for is you know can this be a 20 billion dollar publicly traded category dominating company and when they say no what they're saying is we we don't think that's possible they might be right they might be wrong Uh, most of silicon valley took a pass on uh, airbnb and sequoia didn't because the idea of uh, renting your couch sounded fucking stupid to most people myself included and it uh, turns out I was wrong, right? And so um, some things Silicon Valley v- VCs can't see, uh, or for whatever reason, they don't think it's a venture backed company. That doesn't mean you don't have a legendary company. We just had Gloria Huang, the founder of Thousand Helmets, on my podcast. Well, she saw a new. So the first thing I'd say is new categories create new categories. So Gloria had an insight around this new mobility category, scooters, motorized skateboards, electronic bikes, and the like. Secondarily, one of her closest friends died on a bike not wearing a helmet. And she realized that the standard bike helmet that she calls like a Star Trek or a Star Wars helmet doesn't sort of fit, is not doesn't work on – a uh, a skateboard or on e-bike or on a scooter you, you look like a donkey on them I don't know why but when I fucking bought my first e-bike and I put on my traditional mountain biking helmet I looked like a fucking donkey and it was clear to me I, and I'm no fashion icon it was clear to me I needed a new helmet well all that connected for Gloria and she went out and she wanted to create this helmet company to save lives the reason she called it thousand was she wants to save a thousand lives a year and she niched down on this new mobility well guess what sandhill road wouldn't fucking fund her she started the company with 40 or 60 thousand dollars on her own she did a kickstarter deal and guess what you know who the greatest venture capitalist in the world is customers fucking customers and so uh gloria has scaled her business that way and become incredibly successful and so you know uh, Kevin, Damp, and Al and I have spent the vast majority of our professional lives in Silicon Valley working uh, with uh, you know big-time, top-tier, venture capital-based companies, and that's a model we understand, and that may be a model that's appropriate for you. I don't know, but if it's not, I don't want you or, frankly, anyone else to be disappointed you can be Gloria Huang and create a legendary category defining and dominating business. That is something you can be proud of. That is something that makes a giant difference in the world. And that's something is a, and that something could, could be a very big and powerful thing for the Gonzalez family. Yeah,
1: man. I love this. Hopefully probably you got your uh, kick out of here because that's really why it's a firing up conversation I
4: am, i'm so pumped up thank you so much like this i totally needed this i'm really really grateful for this thank you thank you thank you i'll shut up
1: all right all right andrew you're up and then melina
9: hey thanks guys uh, firstly happy saint patrick's day to everybody
8: hey you too and, uh,
9: so this is my wife uh, Kirsty. we co-founded a company called earth uh, back in 2014 we work in conservation technology and uh, just to give an example in the chocolate industry so cacao it's a hundred billion dollar a year industry it's controlled by the big chocolate corporations. Uh, the sad thing is that in Central and West Africa uh, hundreds uh, well, tens of millions of farmers uh, are being nickel and dimed for their commodity. And the sad thing is as they're trying to these companies like Hershey's and Mars who are uh, under a lawsuit at the moment and it's been up in the Supreme Court in America, uh, they are you know paying very little for the for the cacao but at the same time making a ton of money. Uh, The farmers are being forced to uh, use child labour because they're having to engage the children to harvest the crops. Uh, There's 2.1 million children that are being enslaved into the supply chain. Uh, So it's a very difficult situation. What we're trying to do with our company is is kind of reposition this uh, to work on the side of the farmer to give them better economic value for the commodities they're producing, uh, but also kind of break this paradigm where these big chocolate corporations are paying tens of millions of dollars to certification bodies like fair trade and rainforest alliance to go in and check on the farmer to make sure the farmer's doing the right job and the farmer's got diminishing returns all the time so he's struggling and having to cut corners to make ends meet so we're really trying to fathom out the best way to kind of position the, or reposition the category to be on the side of the farmer and of course lastly the other big uh, challenge to uh, you know the production of agricultural commodities from rubber to palm oil, which we find on our soap and on our car tires, is the deforestation level. So we're currently losing um, one soccer field worth of forest every second, which is the size of New York City every single day because of the uh, restrictive practices these farmers are being put under. So any, any advice or thoughts from you guys would be greatly appreciated. And, and thanks for making this call happen. Thank you.
2: Yes. I have thoughts and ideas and advice for you, you, Andrew. So first of all, um, you just did what intuitive, natural category designers do, which is you spent 80% of what you just described uh, about what you shared with us about your company focused on the problem. And that's very cool. Uh, That's point A. Point B, I would encourage you to read a brand new book that just came out by a guy named Giro Laison. And Giro is um, the head of, quote-unquote, special projects at a legendary family-owned company called Dr. Bruner's Soap. And Dr. Bruner's Soap is about 70 years old, and they are a category designer in the domain of organic good for the environment, good for people, soap that was started over 70 years ago by a Holocaust survivor in Southern California. And um, so we just had him on the podcast. He's got a brand new book out. It's called Honor Thy Label, and it's a legendary book. And what he talks about in the book was Dr. Bruners had had this long environmental commitment, and rough and tough around 2005, they realized that if they were going to have a commitment, they had to have an entire commitment. And that meant their entire supply chain, not just their business practices, but their business practices across everything. And they brought Giro in to uh, essentially uh, take over responsibility for their supply chain. And so, for example, you mentioned palm oil. All of their palm oil now is ethically sourced, and it's sourced from renewable sources because, as you know way better than I do— uh, palm oil production is one of the most evil things in the world right now. And so um, I think what 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 Dr. Bruners teaches us is that you can make the, not just what you do a differentiator, but the way you do it a differentiator. And Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia, a company that Al and Kevin and Damp and I admire tremendously – Uh, has come out and endorsed this book and endorsed Dr. Bruner, saying Dr. Bruner's is a company that they look up to. So I think you're on to something that's a a radical differentiator that is a fucking awesome thing that you want to go get done in the world, and I applaud you for that. The piece that I would encourage you to think about in addition to what you might uh, already be thinking about is, and why does that matter to the consumer? Why does that matter to the customer? And so put your differentiation around environmental responsibility um, in a context that matters for the consumer. And if I could, I'll give you a quick example. When Steve Jobs launches the iPod, there's an existing category. The category is called MP3 players. And anything, anybody who knows shit about category design knows that's a nose-picking fucking name for a category because it's about the technology. And at the time, nobody knows what a fucking MP3 really is, right? And the category, falls, the category stalls. In addition, the products aren't that good. So iPod is a legendary product, no question. I bought the first-generation iPod, as, as many of my brethren of the same vintage did. Um, but most importantly, Steve Jobs didn't call it. And, uh, an mp3 player he called it a digital music player and he changed the future with one sentence 1 songs in your pocket and so the nose pickers in the mp3 category space were having a nose picking technology conversation about mobile or digital music Jobs says we're going to rename the category something people can fucking understand, digital music player, and Google MP3, a Google iPod launch. Read the fucking press release. It is a thing of beauty. Click on all of the early ads for the iPod. They all say a 1,000 songs in your pocket. And so my point is I would encourage you to... Think about your problem that you solve in the context of what matters to the customer.
4: Wow. Love it.
1: I so want to end on on that, but um, uh, Milena, I called your name. So we're going to make sure that we honor that. And we'll, we'll like, we have to wrap it in like five minutes. And it's fascinating that hundreds of people are still like listening to this way beyond an hour time. So that just shows the power of this conversation. So, uh, thank you. Thank you, folks, for whoever I've been waiting on and also Christopher, Kevin, Mike, and Al. So, Melina, go for it.
6: Thank you so much. Thank- Good to see you guys. I just want to share something that Christopher is very passionate about, <laughs> and that is um, our current work culture is not sustainable. We all know that the pace is not sustainable, and this whole hustle culture mentality is killing mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. It's killing our well-being. It's killing our sleep. And we just need to change the way we work. And so I'm very passionate about this. And I've created a company called Unhustle. And I'll be starting a community here soon. I actually wanted to invite you guys to join me for free in my, um, to do a little beta testing in my seven-week program. But I also wanted to kind of pick your brain here a little bit and see if you can tell me what you believe my category is and what you believe my ideal product is because there's a lot of brilliant marketers in this room.
1: All right, hit us. Go for it.
2: (laughs) Pablo, you're so funny. Yes, uh, a hustle porn, of course, is one of the machines that I am raging against. Um, These idiots, I think these idiots have done more damage to particularly young entrepreneurs in the last decade uh, than ever before uh morons like uh, grant cardone have said things like hard work never killed anybody well in japan they have a word for it it's called karoshi because people die of it and so i think look hard work duh i started my first company at fucking 18 i essentially didn't take my head out of the foxhole till i was 38 years old so Hard work is a requirement to be a legendarily successful entrepreneur. There's no question about that. However, hamsters work hard in wheels, and they never fucking get anywhere. And so hustle is really stupid advice. The question is, what are you hustling towards? If you are hustling in a category that is dominated by somebody else, by definition, by fucking definition, we have the data science research to prove it. Al Ramadan led the goddamn uh, 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 research project, and we had it published in the fucking Harvard Business Review. And by the way, if you ever want to get data published in the Harvard Business Review, get ready for a proctology exam. I would (laughs) tell you, uh, having been a CMO and doing this for 34 years, getting data published in the HBR is the hardest business publication to get data published in. And so Al Ramadan led a research project when we did play bigger to figure out what the market cap was that went to the category leader, the category queen or king. And that number is 76%. It's in the book and it's in an HBR article. And so the, the aha around hustle is this. If you're hustling in a category dominated by somebody else, you're fucked. Red bull cola was a failure. Google plus a direct attack on Facebook was a failure because it doesn't matter how powerful your brand is. If you, if you attack an entrenched category King with a, we're better than them strategy, I don't give a fuck how much you hustle. And so the aha here is the category makes the business. And so if you're going to work hard, AKA hustle, then work hard on something fucking smart. That is to say, Something differentiated, something that is exponential, not something that is incremental. So That's kind of point A. Point B on this one, Melina, is, um, hey, listen, if all you do is hustle, you're going to wake up one day, and you're going to be fucking fat. You're going to be out of shape. Your spouse is going to think you're an asshole, and if you have children, they're going to think you're an asshole, and you're going to get fucking divorced, and you're going to give up half your net worth. And you're only going to get to see your kids every third weekend. And so this insanity around that the pathway to success is 140 hour work. week for 20 years is pure stupidity. And so enough with the hustle porn, we have to work smart. And if we work smart, we're the person and or the company designing and dominating a new category. And in addition, Hey, Part of the purpose of designing a legendary business is to have a legendary life. Kevin, Al, Damp, and I like to get together. We like to get on a boat. We like to go for a surf. We like to have a drink. Sometimes we like to go for a hike. We like to hang out in the mountains. We like to have a good time. Uh, When we wrote play bigger, there were libations that were consumed. And so, if you want to have a creative life, an innovative life, an entrepreneurial life, you got to take some time off. You got to have some fun with your bros and, and your sisters and your brothers, and you got to rejuvenate and you got to spend time with your family. And anybody who tells you any different is an asshole selling you a stupid fucking course.
1: I think that's a corn moment there. Like I, this, I think, I think, I think that's like we're done.
0: that's <laughs> <laughs> not that.
1: hey hey everybody thank you thank you so much for hanging out this is an amazing event i hope everybody feels one percent better now not this week now Um, and probably a whole lot more um just in case you don't know uh eden our community manager is gonna be posting the recap in the community soon um you guys if you're not a member we'd love to have you come check it out um there's a ton of things going on and thank you Christopher, kevin michael you know, everybody for being here and being a part of this amazing event uh can't do it without you guys and i hope to see everybody on the next call so thanks for spending the extra time and freaking have a killer week thank you so much folks so cool and christopher just drop it real quick name of your podcast and uh and the newsletter that you have started
2: uh two podcasts follow your different and uh, lock it on marketing And we launched a new newsletter at the beginning of this year. If you want a free trial, send me an email, Chris at Lockhead.com, and we'll hook you up with Category Pirates.
0: You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the
2: Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.